This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Behind Enemy Lines. I'm your host, Alejandro Suniga. In this show, we take a close look at the Michigan football team's upcoming opponent, We'll also get an in-depth look at the Ohio State Buckeyes as the game nears at the end of this month. We know that there is a lot of non-football news, uh, both on the Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com, and let's face it, all over the college football world at this moment. But in this show, we are going to focus exclusively on a football game. And it's not just any football game, it's a top 10 showdown between Michigan and Penn State in State College this weekend. This is one of those games that matters a lot. This game is going to help determine the Big Ten East winner, and I believe, and most of us believe, the Big Ten champion. Uh, Whether it's Michigan, Penn State, or Ohio State, that will be determined at least in part in this game. And of course, Michigan is seeking a third straight appearance in the college football playoff. It needs every big win it can get to help make that happen. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Daniel Gallen, who covers the Nittany Lions over for 24-7 Sports, previewing Michigan-Penn State. It feels like the Michigan football team finally begins its season this weekend in a game that should actually be decently close into the fourth quarter, uh, a game that is a single-digit spread for the first time all year for the Wolverines. It's michigan Big noon Saturday out in Happy Valley against a top 10 Penn State opponent. Happy to have with me to talk about the Nittany Lions, Daniel Gallen, who covers them for Lions 24-7, part of our 24-7 Sports Network. Daniel, how are you doing? How's how's the season been? I'm doing great, Alejandro. It's great to be back on. And you know, for I mean, for us, it's the second time in four weeks with a big game. But I'm, I'm sure that you guys are excited to finally get here and finally have the season to really start. Yeah, and it's uh, for for me, and I'd say a lot of people, uh, both fans and media covering Michigan, uh, good to have a football game to think about and watch and talk about. Uh, Certainly a lot of off the field things that we're not going to touch on on this show, uh, because things are ever changing. (laughs) So who knows what the situation will be like on Saturday. But we do know that at right about noon, Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt, uh, and the All-American girl, Jenny Taft, I believe is what they call her. There will be a football game uh, out in State College. Uh, and it's it's two programs that have been near the top of the Big Ten East uh, for the last few years and, and teams that it, expect to be competing for Big Ten titles every year, right? And, and I'm curious, uh, as before we dive into to the team itself, about James Franklin, his tenure at Penn State, uh, because it, it's certainly not that he's on the hot seat or anything like that. Uh, but at least from an outside perspective, it, I get the sense that there's sometimes a little bit of frustration with how the program has gotten to very, very good, but not quite, you know, crested over the hump, sort of like what Michigan did under Jim Harbaugh before these last couple of years. This year, Penn State is eight and one, uh, five and one in the Big Ten. That one loss, of course, is to Ohio State. Uh, out on the road in Columbus. 
Uh, James Franklin won the Big Ten title uh, back in 2016. Uh, but this game here, to to stay in the Big Ten race through the end of November, through the end of the regular season, it feels like it's a big game, not only for this season, but also for James Franklin's legacy at Penn State. Am I wrong in saying that? No, not at all. I, I talked about this a little bit before the Ohio State game, where we're exiting a particular era of college football and of Big Ten football. Divisional play is going away, which means that you're losing this gauntlet of the Eastern Division with Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan State. Spartans had been up, you know, a couple times in the past decade, and you're bringing in these West Coast schools. Uh, So things are going to look a little bit different. And then on top of that, you have the college football playoff expanding from 4 to 12. After the 2018 loss to Ohio State at Beaver Stadium, just a thriller that went down to the wire in the whiteout, James Franklin gave what has become known as the great to elite speech, where he came into the postgame media room at Beaver Stadium and talked about how Penn State was a great program, but they needed to become elite and you needed to beat teams like Ohio State to get there. Before the Ohio State game this year, James Franklin said that he felt like that Penn State had closed that gap. He felt like that things were a little bit closer than they've been between recruiting, what Penn State has been able to do with its staffing, how they've developed players. Um, But in order to get there, you need to win those games. And I think that when you look back over this decade, this past decade of college football, between the the Big Ten East and the four-team college football playoff, If you're at the top of the pile on the Big Ten and you're in and you get into that very, very exclusive club in the four team playoff, you can be considered an elite program. Um, And I do think that there was some motivation around Penn State coming into the season that they wanted to make the they want to be in the playoff. They want to assert themselves to be at the level of these teams before we get into the 12 team playoff era. Personally, I mean, I'm very excited for the 12-team playoff. I think that having the access make things look a little bit different, games on college sites, etc. Um, I think that's really cool. But I think when you look at how the how you evaluate these programs um, in this in this particular slice of history in college football, you look at who's in the playoff, who's winning those games, who's in the playoff multiple times, and that's how you kind of define the elite programs of this era. Um, and I think that James Franklin wants Penn State to be in that conversation. I mean, his job is to get them into that conversation. Um, you know, he's one and nine against Big Ten against Ohio State in his tenure at Penn, Penn State. And the one time they beat them, they won the Big Ten title, made the Rose Bowl. Um, and so I think falling short there, I think a section of the fan base, um, you know, took it pretty hard in terms of we don't know if this guy can ever win these games. Um, but I think that with this Michigan game coming up. It's another bite at the apple. It's another shot to put yourself into that conversation. And so I think that college football playoff berths, I think in the future are going to mean a little bit less. Um, I don't think big 10 titles. I mean, conference is still going to be a gauntlet, um, but they're going to mean something different in the future. And so I think that Penn state wants to end this particular era, being able to stake their claim to be one of these programs. Yeah, I think that's very fair and uh, a sense that I felt a lot from the Michigan fan base when Michigan won in 21 is, hey, um, Michigan, like Penn State, consistently a top 15 program 
uh, you know, in a 12 team playoff consistently would be in that playoff. Uh, but a lot of excitement from the Michigan perspective to make it in uh, now twice uh, when it was four teams. But you talk about getting to elite and the great to elite. Uh, and of course, recruiting is part of that. And and Drew Aller, when you look at his recruiting profile, he was an elite recruit, uh, Penn State quarterback now in his first year as a starter. He was a five-star QB, top QB recruit in the 22 class per 24-7 sports. Uh, Michigan fans and the Michigan program saw him briefly last year at the tail end of that game in Ann Arbor. Uh, this year, he has taken over as starter, uh, 62.8% completion percentage. Uh, 1900 yards, give or take 20 touchdowns, just one interception Uh, on paper. That's not bad. In fact, that's quite good for a first year starter. Uh, But you see things like a low depth of target. Uh, We we saw the, the, the question heard around the world, uh, at least around our world uh, of, Hey, why doesn't Penn state just chuck it up, you know, throw it deep, see what happens. Uh, so it's it's not necessarily uh, that the Penn State offense is clicking, that Drew Aller is is just like lights out all the time. But it, it seems to me like he's been a very, very good quarterback. He's a big guy, prototypical, you know, pro style quarterback who who's tough to bring down. He can make some plays with his legs. Uh, Daniel, from your perspective, what has year one or three quarters of year one under Drew Aller looked like? What are some of the things he does well? Uh, where are areas he needs to improve? I think that Drew Aller is coming off his best game of the season against Maryland, 25 to 34, 240 yards, four touchdowns. Um, they took some shots downfield. And I think even more than taking the shots down the field, Drew, we saw Aller really fitting the ball into some tighter windows. Um, he had the the touchdown pass. I believe it was an eight yarder to tight end Tyler Warren uh, in the back corner of the end zone. I mean, he threaded the ball through, I think there were four Maryland defenders in the vicinity. His two touchdown passes to Dante Cephas were just drops in the bucket uh, you know, along the sideline in the back of the end zone. And we hadn't really seen Drew Allard sort of taking those kinds of risks, making those risky throws through the first you know, two thirds of the season. They Penn State have really, really hammered home ball security with him. The one interception against Indiana is his only turnover this year. Uh, he did have a fumble uh, that was recovered, I believe, against Ohio State. Penn State was able to to jump on that, avoid the turnover. Um, and I think that Penn State really wanted to lean on its running game um, to really help Drew Aller along, not put all the pressure on your your first-time starting quarterback because – no matter what the recruiting rankings say, no matter what his pedigree is, no matter what you're seeing in practice, uh, a first-year starter is a first-year starter, especially a quarterback, especially in the Big Ten, especially with these types of expectations. And so I think Penn State never really wanted to put Aller in a situation where he felt like he had the whole program on his shoulders or, or things like that. Um, and I think that that led to things being a little conservative in the early going. But what happened at the end of the Indiana game? Uh, there's a there's a line of thought, a line of conversation in the Penn State fan base that Drew Aller throwing that interception uh, at the end against Indiana was good. Um, I cannot get behind that at all. I'm sort of a process over results. Like you win the game uh, and per- did this loosen up Drew Aller? Who knows? But you still threw an interception on your own side of the territory, on your own territory with five minutes left. And if Tom Allen is actually aggressive and actually coaching to win, you might lose that game. And now it doesn't matter. Um, 
that's just my my point of view. But I, I think the fact that he got put in a situation where he needed to respond um, and Penn State got put into a situation at the end of that game where like they couldn't take their time. They couldn't grind it out. They had to kind of just go, all right, Drew, it's on you. We're going to chuck it. We're going to sling it. Uh, and Haller throws the 57-yard touchdown pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith to win. Um, I, I think that Penn State kind of got forced into that situation that they'd been trying to avoid for most of the season. And Drew Aller delivered, and that really carried over uh, into into the Maryland game. I mean, I think that he looked... I think the one thing that came up is he looked like he was playing loose. It looked like he was having a lot more fun, I think, than we'd seen uh, his his body language. Would, I mean, he's a good body language guy. It's hearing that we were asking the wide receivers after the game. We were like, yeah, it seemed like Drew was pretty loose. And they were like, Honestly, you can't tell if Drew is up or if Drew is down at all. He's always the same. His poise is something that uh, James Franklin has been harping on since day one. Um, But it does seem like that something has been unlocked with him a little bit. Um, And I think that when that's unlocked, now it's kind of on that supporting cast to really step up, really make plays for him. Who's going to be the the second or third wide receiver to make plays? Can these tight ends keep playing at a high level? Can Nick Singleton finally break a big one? Can Catron Allen uh, keep being a, a tough runner who seems right for November football like this? Um, yeah, I think that it kind of puts the offense into a, a better relief and you can kind of see um, a little bit more potential from it going into this Michigan matchup. You mentioned uh, several of the key like skill position players uh, that, that Penn State leans on a little bit. You've got a, a good uh, two-headed running back duo there of Nick Singleton, Catron Allen, I know that was a big storyline last year in the Penn State-Michigan game uh, between those two rushing attacks. And then uh, wide receivers, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Dante Cephas, you mentioned. Uh, but but I'm wondering, the uh, offensive line, right? Like, I remember watching the Ohio State-Penn State game and feeling like if Penn State just relied on the run game a little bit more, there was a period in that game where it felt like they were really imposing their will uh, a little bit on that Buckeyes defense. Uh, I know on on the other hand as well that that Penn State historically it feels like by the end of their careers, Penn State quarterbacks have been hit a lot. So with a, a first year quarterback, uh, with a couple of very talented running backs, uh, well, how has the offensive line looked? I, I know it seems like things looked really good against Maryland, but throughout this year. Uh, how is the offensive line done in, in both run blocking and pass protection? I think the offensive line has been pretty solid this year. I, I think that they probably could be a little bit better in run blocking. Um, and I think that we've seen the interior of the offensive line uh, have some issues picking up games and stunts and twists and things like that. Um, every once in a while, it, it'll seem like there's just someone running free. There's a defensive end coming free up the middle. Um, because he was able to get all the way around. Um, But I think that you look at this Penn State offensive line, and you have to start at left tackle with Olu Fashionu. You know, he's All-American, going to be a probably going to be a top 10 pick, top five pick in the draft next year. Could have been a top 20, 15 pick last year, decided to come back to school to finish his degree. He's been really, really good this year. Um, especially in pass protection. Um, and then a little bit, one of the more underrated storylines, I think, is on is that right tackle, uh, Caden Wallace. Uh, he's a fifth-year senior. He's been a starter since he was a redshirt freshman back in 2020. He's played a lot of football. He's had his fair share of struggles. Last year, he ended up in a rotation 
uh, with Bryce Effner, uh, who retired after last season or didn't take his extra year uh, of eligibility after last season. Um, and coming into this year, uh, and Cade Malls missed a bunch of games last year. I think he missed the final seven regular season games returned for the Rose Bowl. Um, but I think a lot of people thought that he was going to be in a, he might even lose his job or be in a rotation with Drew Shelton, uh, who started at left tackle for fashion down the stretch last year as a true freshman. Um, and early in the year, we saw Wallace and Shelton rotating, but Caden Wallace has really seized that job. Um, he left the Indiana game early with an injury, but came back and played the entire time the starters were in at Maryland. Um, and I think that you have to give him kind of that offensive lineman compliment where you don't really notice him. So that means he's doing his job well. <laughs> and I think that there's only been one or two times this year where you've been like, Ooh, like that's, that's a classic play where he just gets put back on his heels and and just beat. Um, and that was something that we saw happen in a couple big spots last year and happened pretty often. Um, but I think that the tackles have been really solid. Um, the interior Hunter Norzad uh, is at center. Uh, he's a former Cornell all Ivy league uh, right tackle who slowly moved inside uh, since he got to Penn state last year. Um, and then they use a, an interesting three guard rotation um, with JB Nelson at left guard, Salim Wormley at right guard, and then Venga Ioane, uh, who's a 350 pound redshirt freshman uh, <laughs> who can really, really move. Um, and and he, he'll play both guard spots rotating in. Um, but I, I think that the interior is going to be something I'm really going to watch, uh, especially given how this Michigan defense operates. Um, but I, I think that this is going to be a big statement game for the offensive line. Um, you know, they got, they couldn't do anything last year against Michigan. And so, um, I'm really curious to see what this looks like, but, you know, communication is key. I think they will be fine on the edges against the pass. Um, but I'm very curious to see how the interior holds up in the run game. Flipping to that Penn State defense, uh, this is where you go from uh, potentially a very good unit uh, on the Penn State offense to an elite unit defensively, right? Uh, the Nittany Lions enter this game number two nationally in total defense, number three in scoring defense, number two nationally in run defense. And, you know, that, of course, jumps out to me, probably jumps out to a lot of Michigan fans because we remember what happened last year in Ann Arbor, right? I mean, the Michigan football team, I saw over the summer, some of them were wearing shirts commemorating it, uh, oh. which was the tie, no, the top 10 matchup, uh, but between the two programs and Michigan rushes for 418 yards. Um, certainly not Manny Diaz's uh, brightest day, but seems to have turned things around uh, this year. What has made that defense so effective this year? Who are the names that, that Michigan fans need to know heading into Saturday? So after that game at Michigan Stadium, we're down in the media room and James Franklin pretty much just straight up challenged his defensive line. And he said that they were too small uh, in in the trenches. And um, he he said that they have, too many, they have too many guys who want to be like Aaron Donald in terms of being that sort of, you know, not the heaviest, not the biggest guy, but, you know, quickness and strength and being able to do that. Um, I, I think that there was the subtext there was uh, defensive tackle Hakeem Beeman, who his teammates have uh, said that he has Aaron Donald hands uh, in terms of how he plays. Uh, he played last year listed at 256 or 264, somewhere in that range on the official roster. He's listed at 290 this year. And you look across the board at 
at these interior defensive linemen. I mean, Zane Durant is a sophomore. He enrolled at 265. He's different body type. He's at 6'1". He's very, he's like a, a rectangle. Uh, he's up to 285. Um, they've got a couple guys who are up to 300, guys that are in the 290s who might have been in the 270s or 280s in years past. So I think that that was something that they really, really emphasized this offseason. Um, and even the defensive ta- defensive ends are a little bit bigger. Um, you know, Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson were in the 240s last year. They're playing in the 250s this year. Uh, Deny Dennis Sutton is in the 260s. Um, I, they bulked up across the board and they they didn't. And the, the classic question as well, are you going to sacrifice any speed or quickness if, if you're bulking up? And uh, it doesn't really seem like they've done that. So I think that this defensive line has responded really well to that challenge. Um, Beeman said a couple of weeks ago that they really took it personally um, you know, to be challenged like that. And they responded. You have to give credit to the strength and conditioning staff, too, for putting in that kind of plan to get this team to this point. And I think that things have just really, really worked out well for them. Um, I, I think that one thing that's really stands out to me with this matchup is how the linebackers are going to play. Um, I, I think that some of the people on our message board at Lions 24-7 who are much more knowledgeable than me when it comes to scheme and things like that, uh, they really harped on the linebacker play last year. Um, that guys not being in their gaps uh, and that allowed Michigan to get out into the second level. Then guys like Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards can just make you miss and go. Um, And so I think after the, after the Michigan game last year, we saw Manny Diaz adjust. Uh, Abdul Carter came into the starting lineup. Uh, Curtis Jacobs had been playing as the box linebacker uh, and they moved him back to their Sam linebacker who plays in space as kind of a pseudo nickel um, and kept Abdul Carter uh, as, as that box linebacker. Uh, and that's something that I think Penn state um, yeah, really helped them because uh, Abdul Carter just had such a great finish to last year. Uh, Curtis Jacobs is just a really good athlete. Like he could have been recruited as a wide receiver or a safety coming out of high school. Um, and then this year, we've seen Kobe King really take over um, the middle linebacker role. He was in a timeshare last year at Tyler Elsden. Um, that's been his job this year. He's a redshirt sophomore from Detroit. So I think this game you know, will mean something to him, too. So to see those guys, I think, step up. They've been playing at a high level this year. Manny Diaz still isn't afraid to rotate players, which every once in a while, someone can, uh, you know, gets people going a little bit. Um, there's a, a moment, uh, in the Ohio state game where Penn state was in a zone was playing zone defense, but still, when you see the, the second string Sam linebacker lined up over Marvin Harrison jr. In the slot, <laughs> it raises some alarm bells in your, in your head. And it was a 35 yard gain for the Buckeyes. Um, but I'm curious to see what kind of wrinkles, uh, Manny Diaz has. We've seen him toy with a four linebacker package, uh, at times earlier this year, which we did not see at all last year. Um, they've used a, a three defensive end package uh, where all three lineback, all three defensive ends stand up uh, on the line in passing situations. So it, I'm, I really want to see what Manny Diaz can do. I mean, I think that this is a big game for him too. what Michigan did to him last year um, and how he can bounce back and what this could mean for really extrapolating out, you know, his head coaching prospects to put a, a big game like this together. Um, but this, this defense, it's, it's going to be a really fun, fun chess match, I think. And I think Penn State, I, they're not going to let Michigan run for 400 yards again. Um, I, I remember in the 21 Ohio State game, there was a, a third down play where I believe it was Jackson Smith and Jigba 
uh, split out wide and the guy covering him was edge rusher David Ojabo and everyone at Michigan Stadium just collectively went oh no uh, <laughs> and then they picked up like 25 yards so <laughs> um, it, I would uh, be remiss not to mention cornerback uh, Kalen King uh, cast tech product uh, who is uh, one of the highlights of that Penn State secondary uh, one of those guys were uh, listen I feel like I agree with your your take that Manny Diaz, Penn State, they're going to be really fixated on the run, uh, that they cannot let Michigan run over, all over them two years in a row. Um, I think we saw a lot last year uh, with J.J. McCarthy using his legs in ways that, that they hadn't really shown before. Um, J.J. didn't run the ball basically at all in, in any designed or read capacity. Uh, last week against Purdue. I, I do think they'll unleash that a bit against Penn State. I do think Penn State will be ready for it uh, significantly better than they were last year. Uh, and if they are committing guys to the box, you know, they, there's the talent with Kalen King and others in that secondary um, to to man up Michigan and, and make that a one-on-one battle and, and see who wins it. Um, anyway, uh, don't want to dive way too far into that rabbit hole. Uh, but Daniel, it, it is a, it's a big game. It's uh last, or at least it opened as a six and a half point spread. Uh, the closest, the closest opening spread for any Michigan game by far uh, this year. Uh, certainly a lot of question marks, uh, particularly from the Michigan side, right? There's reports that the big 10 might try suspending Jim Harbaugh uh, for this game. There are, you know, ongoing reports that Michigan might try to fight that in legal battles that are far beyond my pay grade. Uh, but that would ultimately result in Harbaugh being able to coach. Uh, I know from the Penn State side, Chop Robinson, uh, defensive end who you mentioned, has been dealing with an injury. I saw he warmed up uh, last week at Maryland and that the the coaching staff is hopeful he'll be ready to go. Uh, but as we wrap up this show, Daniel, what, I'm, what do you expect to see on Saturday? What's maybe a key that we haven't talked about? And if you're willing, uh, how do you think this one plays out? Yeah, I I think on just on the injury front real quick, I mean, I do think we're trending toward seeing Chop Robinson um, play on on Saturday. Uh, I also think Amin Vanover, who's their number four defensive end, I think he'll be back too. Um, And uh, Vanover is one of those kind of bigger defensive ends. I think he's listed at like 268. Um, So he's a a thicker body that I think could help you um, against a team like Michigan. Um, but I think when I look at this game, um, I think the key is is really going to be can Penn State play like a really balanced and complementary game on offense. I think that we know that Michigan is a really, really good defense. And I know that Michigan hasn't been really tested this year, but I'm of the mindset that like I don't really look, read into that too much because if Michigan was tested at all this year, there'd be much bigger concerns, (laughs) I think, coming into the game than them not being tested. Um, So I I think that Penn State really needs to get Katron Allen going. Uh, I know that Singleton was really the home run hitter last year, and we have not seen that at all this year. His two biggest plays have been two 50-yard kick returns. I think his longest carry this year is 20 yards. He just hasn't quite gotten loose uh, into the second level for whatever reason. Um, so I think that if you can have Katron Allen running between the tackles and really grinding things out, um, I think that that can really help you. I mean, he's one of those running backs that he gets stopped for four yards, but it turns into a seven yard gain. 
Um, and so that can really help you keep you on schedule. It's going to be November in big 10 country, like pound the rock, like do it. I'm not a run the ball person, but I think in this type of situation, Katron Allen is a player who can really make that happen for you. And then Drew Aller can really play off of that. Take some deep shots, get those safeties to play close, you know, try to go over the top to Keandre Lambert Smith, Dante Cephas, use Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren as needed um, to move the chains and, and maybe make some big plays. So I think that how complimentary they can be on offense is really the the, the big thing that stands out to me because, you know, I think that playing Michigan, it just feels like things can spiral pretty quickly and you just can't let that happen um, if you're Penn State and where you get into a situation where you're behind the sticks and you just have to throw, throw, throw um, or just run into a brick wall over and over again. So, yeah, as as for a pick, I, I have to file my prediction later today for Lions 24-7. So you got my brain going a little bit earlier um, than, than I was planning to today. But I think before the season, I picked Penn State to go 11-1 and with a road loss to Ohio State and beating Michigan at home. Um, Mich- during Ohio State week, I flipped on myself and I picked <laughs> Penn State to win. I didn't stick to my guns uh, on that one. Um, and I was wrong, even though that was a very close game. Um, and so I, I think on this one, I'm just going to I'm going to stick to my guns from the beginning of the season. Um, I have Penn State 23, Michigan 21. Um, I don't think it's going to be easy for either team to really do anything. I think on the Penn State side, we're going to see a lot of field goals, um, just the the way that this game will go. But I think Penn State will play them tough. You know, I'm not reading too much into like I'm not putting too much stock into just how Penn State played against Maryland last week. I I'm not getting caught in that sort of recency bias against a team that is in free fall, but I think that the fact that they were able to really handle that and they've done that all season long when it comes to the, you know, lower tier teams in the Big 10, uh, I think that that puts them in a really good position. I think they have a confident Drew Aller who's fine. It's like kind of like the point guard thing in basketball or the the shooter thing in basketball where he's seen a couple go in. So I think he's feeling it right now. And so I think the defense is going to make some plays. The offense will do enough and and special teams will come through to, to get Penn state over the finish line. And then they're putting it in the the tiebreakers hands uh, from what happens from there. It's two programs with championship aspirations with college football playoff aspirations in this uh, final year of the 14 playoff and uh, a real, a real classic I don't want to call it a rivalry um, because Penn State is unrivaled. Uh, and <laughs> oh, I mean, Michigan, does Michigan treat this as a rivalry like from a fan base perspective? No, but it does have a Wikipedia page, which I discovered recently, <laughs> which surprised me. Um, but from the player perspective, they know they've they've had this circle. They say coming into the season, I mean, obviously, Ohio State, Michigan State are are the top two that that are going to be circled, but it's beating the state's. Uh, and and the other state is Penn State. And the reason for that is because for the most part, Penn State has been a very, very good program. And Michigan knows it has to clear that hurdle uh, if it wants a clear shot to the college football playoff, if it wants a clear shot to the Big Ten championship. Because if you go to the tiebreaker, then you got to like trust Iowa or nope. and you, you just don't want to trust Iowa, um, any team. <laughs> you just can't <laughs> trust Iowa. <laughs> Anyway, Daniel Gallon, he covers the Nittany Lions over for Lions 24-7, part of our 24-7 Sports Network. 
You can follow him there. You can follow him on Twitter or X at Daniel J.T. Gallen. That's G-A-L-L-E-N. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. This was great. Thanks for having me, Alejandro. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them. And easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. And we're back, folks, on the Michigan Insider at michigan.247sports.com. Closing out this episode of Behind Enemy Lines, like the Michigan football team will close out its regular season. And that's with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Regular guest Patrick Murphy, who covers them over for Bucknuts, part of our 24-7 sports network, is joining me. Uh, And Patrick, we usually start and we will talk about Ohio State, but given the magnitude of the Michigan football team's game this weekend, and given that you have seen Penn State, I'm I'm curious what your impressions were of the Nittany Lions. Ohio State, of course, took care of Penn State a couple weeks ago, part of that, uh, you know, trifecta of games that's going to decide the Big Ten East, and I think most of us imagine will decide the Big Ten so, Patrick, you you scouted Penn State. You saw them in person. You rewatched that film of the Penn State-Ohio State game uh, that the Buckeyes took care of. Not a blowout by any means, but certainly felt like a comfortable victory in the end. Uh, Patrick, what were your takeaways from that Nittany Lions team and what Michigan might expect from, from that team uh, in State College this weekend? It's interesting because... Penn State came to that game playing really well, right? Um, Undefeated, obviously, going to that. And then things sort of fell apart in that game. I mean, Drew Aller, who granted his numbers on the road hadn't been great, but overall he played really well, was 18 of 42 for 191 yards and one touchdown. Some of that was certainly Ohio State's defense. Some of that was poor play on his part. Um, I don't think he was set up for success by the offensive coaches, I mean, you have two of the best running backs in the country, and Nick Singleton has nine carries for 48 yards, and Katron Allen has nine for 26. I mean, there was a point in the first half where Nick Singleton busted out two straight uh, 10-plus yard runs, and it was like, okay, Penn State's starting to get the run game going, and then they pass, I think, on three straight plays after that and end up kicking a field goal, if I remember correctly. Whatever it was, they did not advance the ball much further. Um, so you you don't exactly like the play calling there. What's weird is then they've gone that next week they went out. Um, I think they had a bye, played Indiana and struggled in that game. And so it was like, okay, what what is this Penn State team? And then they come back out this week and absolutely destroy Maryland, uh, which has become an annual tradition for Penn State to do to, to the Terrapins. 
uh, a team that also was playing really well earlier in the season and, and has kind of fallen off. So I think we've kind of seen two versions of Penn State. Like They can be that top 10 team in the country that could really compete with Ohio State and Michigan. And then you've seen this team that like can't get it together. Um, defensively, obviously very good. I think even in um, the game against Indiana, obviously against Ohio State to hold the Buckeyes to 20 points, they, they made some big plays. Um, the weapons outside of the two running backs, I mean, Keandre Lambert-Smith, is probably their their next best guy um, and a talented player, but it's just, it's not quite there um, at the level that they would probably like, or that maybe that they thought. So look, it's a really good team. I think on their day, could they spring an upset in one of these two games? I think that was certainly a possibility, especially people thought so a few weeks ago, but I still think that Penn state for talent, for experience, for coaching uh, is still just like a step below, maybe a half step below uh, uh, the Buckeyes and the Wolverines. Now, the one thing I will say about this game, obviously it is in State College. The The game between Ohio State and Penn State was in Columbus. So the Buckeyes had home field advantage. We both know what that place can be like. I believe it's a noon kick for this game, right? Correct, yep. You don't, you don't have to do with whiteout conditions and all that, but um, maybe that does change things a little bit. But look, I, I still think the Wolverines are the better team here. It does feel like a little bit of a legacy game for for James Franklin in that program, given what's about to come to the Big Ten and, and given what the last few years have looked for that program. Uh, but you know, Penn State, right right up there. Uh, if they can pull off an upset at home the, this weekend, then then they're right back in that race. Um, the reason they need to win this game, they absolutely need to win this game, is because Ohio State, of course, uh, won the head-to-head matchup, and Ohio State keeps rolling. Uh, Ohio State is 9-0 now after beating Rutgers 35-16 to uh, in Piscataway last weekend. This was a game where Ohio State was trailing at halftime, uh, not, the, not the most dominant showing in the first half by any means. Uh, but by the end of the game, uh, Kyle McCord goes 19 of 26 for 189 yards with three touchdowns and an interception. Marvin Harrison Jr. held to just 25 receiving yards, but does score a couple touchdowns. Uh, and then really the highlight of the game, uh, Trevion Henderson with uh, 128 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Also adds 80 receiving yards. And one of those was just an absolutely massive third down play where it looked like Rutgers was right back in it, uh, had a chance to get the ball back and potentially reclaim the lead. Uh, but Travion Henderson breaks a long reception, and that was all she wrote. Patrick, uh, you were in Piscataway, uh, saw you had an airport beer at nine in the morning, which is the appropriate time to have an airport beer. Uh, what were your uh, takeaways? It feels like every Pence or every Ohio State game has has been sort of similar in that the defense is just fantastic, uh, offense does enough, uh, not to the standard of Ohio State over the last few years, but enough to get the job done uh, in the end. Yeah, rinse, wash, repeat repeat for the Buckeyes. Um, Look, I think this game played out similarly to that Michigan-Rutgers game um, uh, a handful of weeks ago. Uh, I think Michigan was up 14-7 to at halftime, if I remember correctly. Um, A little bit different. Rutgers takes a a lead 9-7. But it could have been worse. Uh, Rutgers got down into the red zone three times and were held to three field goals. So this defense holds firm. Um, I think all three of those drives came after short fields. One was 
what appeared to be a fake punt gone wrong. Ryan Day said after the game it wasn't a fake punt, and that caused stir on social media um, because it looked like a fake punt in my eyes. Anyway, that's not that's not uh, the first time that's happened this year, right? That's there. No. It seems like the fake punt, not fake punt debate. Uh, has become a an issue of consternation among among the Ohio State program. Yeah, the look. If we we could do a whole podcast on Ohio State special team issues right now, um, and I won't bore Michigan fans with with that because um, you know it's it's a important part of the game, but it's not as as vital as. But there are very big issues. And look, you saw it last year. Um, Ohio State in the Michigan game tried to set up a fake punt. It didn't work. Uh, they did it again against Georgia. There was a timeout called. They had too many men on the field. It's kind of building each week. There's been an issue, like one issue each week that has has been problematic for the Buckeyes. Um, you, so you mentioned the offense, and I think that's the the interesting thing, kind of where I'm going to go this week with some of the stuff I'm going to uh, you know bring up at interviews. Look, the defense is good. We know that. Um, they're playing well. Again, Denzel Burke didn't play this week. And, you know, they had freshman cornerback Jermaine Matthews play a lot. Lathan Ransom, safety was out. They moved Sonny Styles back uh, to kind of a deeper safety role. So so the defense continues to play pretty well. This was actually their worst defensive game statistically. Gave up 361 yards, which was the most they've given up all season, and 16 points, which was the second most, uh, only to Notre Dame. But, you know, still makes the stops when they need to some bend but don't break, put in some bad positions by the offense, those type of things. But offensively, this team seems to be falling into this groove of it just takes them a while to get going. Um, and I think a lot of that is on Kyle McCord because I think it takes him for whatever reason. Like He, he wakes up in the second halves of games or as games progress. Um, I, I looked at his numbers last week, and I don't remember what they are. I don't have them updated, but he has been significantly better into the third quarter and in the fourth quarter statistically than he has been in, in first and second quarters. And he's honestly, he's not been bad. It's just the standard, right? Ohio state, um, you know, expects the quarterbacks to look like CJ Stroud, who just had a record setting day um, in, in the NFL and, and Justin Fields, who obviously hasn't been as good in the NFL, but was fantastic when he was at Ohio state and you know Dwayne Haskins. And I, I saw somebody on social media and I, I didn't fact check this myself, but they compared J.J. McCarthy's numbers um, and Kyle McCord's numbers. I believe it was their numbers this week. Maybe it was their numbers against Rutgers. I don't. I, I saw it late on a on a Saturday night, and like Kyle McCord's getting killed by the Ohio State fan base, and J.J. McCarthy is a, is a Heisman Trophy contender, and like it just looks different, right? Like both guys are probably you know if, if you took him in a vacuum are playing pretty good football. Um, but there's obviously been this this expectation at Ohio State and the offense isn't just this juggernaut that it has been in the past. And it, it doesn't have to be because of the defense. So I think that's kind of where we sit with this Ohio State offense. Um, you know, Kyle made some really good throws. Both of his touchdowns from Marvin Harrison Jr. were were on the money. Um, you know, you mentioned the the big play by Travion Henderson. He was really the story of the day. Uh, healthy now, obviously had a pretty good game we talked about last week against Wisconsin, um, but he's starting to look like what they expect Travion Henderson to to be, both as a runner and as an ability to to make a big play like that in the passing game. Um, but again, it's it's coming down to McCord and, and being consistent. You know, like you said, 19 of 26, 189 yards and three touchdowns. One interception that was just kind of a, a he didn't put enough on it. A fine day, right? And so the question, I guess, is is how good does Kyle need to be 
to lead this team to where it wants to go. And that's a question that so far he's, he's answered the billing each time, you know, the Notre Dame game, the Penn state game, um, you know, on the road at Wisconsin, which can be a difficult place to play. So that's a long answer to your question. Uh, but just, yeah, this it, it's, it's more of the same and it, it's a matter of whether or not, you know, this offense can do enough. And so far each week they have um, to, to match up with this defense and get wins. But obviously, you know, we've got a few weeks from now is going to be the, the ultimate test, right? Now, for for Michigan, it feels like this week is the season starting, right? Because it's the first time all year, I'm 99% certain, it's the first time all year that it's a single-digit point spread for a football game. It's really the first time all year that it feels like Michigan's going into a game that there's a reasonable chance that they might not win. Uh, On the other hand, Ohio State has played those games already, and now the next couple weeks before the Michigan game is hosting Michigan State, uh, who Michigan fans know very well is... Uh, blowing up and rebuilding their program throughout this year, hosting Minnesota, which is not at the level it's been at uh, over over these last couple of years. And that's that's the two games before the Michigan games is a couple of easier Big Ten games. Does it feel that way from your perspective, Patrick, that, you know, Ohio State's gotten over the hump and it's gotten sort of that last little flat stretch on the roller coaster before, you know, the big uh, the big finale at the end? Absolutely. Um, the, 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 I think the prevailing thought here is obviously don't go out and lose these games. Like you have to still take care of business, but among Buckeye fans is like, you know, can they continue to get healthy and stay healthy over these next two weeks, handle their business um, and be ready for that game. It, it sort of shapes up similarly to last. Cause I believe what Michigan plays Maryland the week before, is that on the road or is that at home? It is a home game at Maryland, but then again, home games at Maryland in November are often three quarters home games. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it, last year, Ohio State went to Maryland and Maryland gave them quite a game the week before Michigan. Um, and I remember somebody pointing out when the schedules were, were all out this summer um, that like that it kind of mirrored last year for Michigan um, and, and Ohio State. Now I'm looking at Michigan's schedule last year um, and you know, obviously that Illinois game was that was a tougher Illinois team than many people thought. Um, I know Michigan didn't have its full complement of guys for that game, but it does seem like Ohio state is easing into the big game at the end of November, a bit more than, than Michigan is. Whether that is a benefit we'll see. Um, you know, I think it does allow you to get a little bit healthy. Um, you still have to make sure you maintain that focus on both of those opponents that you mentioned, you know, we're also talking at this point in the year about eye test and things like that with the college football playoff rankings. So, look, I think both these teams, as long as they win their games, they're going to be fine and they're going to be in. But they also, you know, Ohio State was number one in the playoff rankings. We'll see if they are again this week. But like, you know, do they do enough against two teams they are expected to beat to to hold on to that spot or the number two, wherever they end up? So, um, yeah, I do think it is a. a a easier path into this game and that could benefit the Buckeyes heading into Ann Arbor. Um, But I also like the idea of being tested a little bit, you know, along the way here and Ohio state won't have played what will be a a real fourth quarter game. These games have obviously gone into the fourth quarter since that Penn state game. Now uh, a handful of weeks ago, not quite sure what you mean by fourth quarter, but uh, maybe we'll (laughs) find out this weekend. Patrick, uh, as always, thank you so much. Uh, Ohio State hosts, as I said, Michigan State this weekend. It's a night game. 
Uh, you can follow plenty of coverage uh, about that game, about the Ohio State football program in general, and turning our attention to basketball and hockey seasons as well. Uh, Patrick Murphy, you can follow him at Bucknuts uh, or on Twitter X at underscore Pat underscore Murphy. Patrick, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yep, absolutely. And that'll do it for this week's episode of Behind Enemy Lines. Listen, the Michigan football team has dominated opponents all season. The last few weeks in particular have been particularly tough from an off-the-field perspective for the program, but there are still three games left to play in this regular season, potentially a Big Ten championship, potentially two games in the college football playoff. So it gets real starting Saturday in State College. If Michigan wants to prove that they really are 24 points better than every team they've played this year, this is where it starts. Is Michigan going to dominate in the way that they did against, say, Indiana or Nebraska? Probably not. Penn State's a very good football program. But if you want to quiet some doubters, Saturday is where it happens. Listen, I'm always excited for football games. We get only a handful of these every year. But going to State College, experiencing that atmosphere, and seeing a real showdown between two programs that believe they should be the class of the Big Ten, two programs that believe they belong in that college football playoff at the end of the year, carries a little bit more juice to it. So thank you for listening. Follow all of our coverage over at the Michigan Insider at michigan.247sports.com. We've got conversations with football experts. We've got detailed statistical breakdowns. We've got updates from every press conference. And of course, we have insider information about the football team and everything that's going on at the University of Michigan, you know, from Santa Ono on down. Uh, There's a lot going on. So check it out over at the Michigan Insider. I'll see you in State College.